Today is the 21st of October, 2014, and this is episode 155. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, highly experimental, and we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today we're looking at Bitcoin's fractal future as seen through two pairs of eyes. First, we're talking colored coins with CoinPrism CEO Flavian Charlin. They've got free like beer and like speech, dividend routing user-created assets, a proof of authentication system, and a native Android wallet, all free and, of course, open source. Then... We're back in Vegas at the Inside Bitcoins event from earlier this month for another keynote. Invictus CEO Dan Larimer speaks on his proof-of-stake-powered vision of a world beyond Bitcoin and answers some relevant questions. I did my best with the recording. Today on Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're joined by Flavian Charlotte, CEO of CoinPrism, one of the first functional colored coin-enabled wallets. Flavian, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. The last time we spoke was at Coin Summit in San Francisco earlier this year, and I think I remember talking to you about a web wallet, but today we're here to talk about uh, the Android wallet. So can you kind of bring us up to date? What's happened since we last spoke? Quite a few things happened. So first of all, we talked in March, and we were just starting with the uh, test version, so the testnet version. It was in a closed beta, and the open assets protocol, which we use, what was still not finalized. In May, we actually finalized the protocol, and we launched Coin Prism version so Linet. after that we've released a number of features so we've released a dividends feature so the ability to send bitcoin dividends to uh, shareholders of uh, any kind of cornered coin we've released also a blockchain explorer that's similar to blockchain.info it's full featured uh, you can check any transaction any address but in addition to that it will give you information about any kind of open asset transaction that's going on so if a transaction was uh, sending some assets you would see it there we've released also an api it's similar to chain.com. It's a hosted API, which you can call from a service, which it will give you an information, address information. And again, it's augmented with coin information, so using the Open Assets Protocol. We've released a crowd sale feature. So it's a way to essentially publish an address, receive a payment onto that address in Bitcoin. And then the feature will automatically send back assets to the person who sent the Bitcoin. And you can set the price as you want. So it's very straightforward. We've also released an open source client for open assets called ColorCore. So that was in August. ColorCore, it's a simple Python application. Uh, it doesn't rely on CoinPrism at all. It's completely, it only relies on Bitcoin D. So it, it basically needs the blockchain. So it uses Bitcoin D to get access to the blockchain. And it can interpret the open assets transactions. You can do things that you need to do with ColorCore. So issue an asset, send an asset, check your balance on the, the wallet you have with Bitcoin D. You've been very, very busy. Let's let me let me stop you there because I have actually a bunch of things I already want to ask about, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remember them if we go too much further. So I've heard you mention open assets a couple of times. The last time we spoke, if I recall, I asked you what kind of the status was because colored coins, unlike something like Mastercoin or, or Counterparty, is not a definitive protocol. Right? There's more than one potential implementation of colored coins, and they're not necessarily compatible. Have you solved that problem? Is that what open assets is or, or what is that? So yeah, like you said, Coin is kind of a vague concept. It's, uh, you know, it, it was described originally, I think in 2012, but it's really, it's really broad. 
it's like the term cloud computing. It can be, mean a lot of different things. So yeah, open assets is one implementation of uh, cloud coins. And it has some nice properties, so the ability to reissue an asset. That's the protocol we worked on, and that's the protocol that's implemented with CoinPrism. ColorCore is the open source version of that, which also is compatible with open assets. Basically an implementation of colored coins. So it's an implementation of colored coins, but I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out here is, has there been a consolidation, or is this just is this your standardized offering that you would like other people to use because you think it's more useful or more usable than the other ones that are out there? Has there actually been a coming together in this space where you know you got together with the Crumb Wallet guys, or are they doing their own thing and you're doing your own thing, and this is kind of just your, we should all do this thing? The consolidation is a work in progress. Uh, we're actually talking to the Chroma Wallet uh, team and I mean, it's it's better if they support more uh, protocols. So they actually, because, you know, open assets is getting some traction compared to the other ones. So they want to integrate open assets. So, I mean, that's, you know, they have a lot of different things to work on. So it's not the top of their list, but they, they work, they're going to work on that as well. And I'm going to help them as well. Some other projects are using it like Iridis. It's a Coin project funded by uh, Yoni Asia from uh, the CEO of eToro. And it's a decentralized exchange using colored coins. They're also using open assets, so kind of consolidating slowly. But yeah, it's not like there is an official, uh, you know, authority that can say, "Oh, this this becomes the official standard." I mean, it comes organically, more or less. So, but that's what you think is going to happen. You, you know, in in your view of the future, you think that there will be consolidation in the space, and there probably will be one main protocol, as opposed to kind of like an altcoin space where there's you know where anybody can do it. There's you know there's there's incentive, and I guess that's a difference here. Is that one of the things that differentiates the colored coins concept from most of the quote 2.0 projects that are out there is that colored coins don't explicitly use their own token. So is CoinPrism a funded project? Did you take venture capital? How have you come this far? And what has what that kind of process been like for you? Uh, we didn't want to go the road, uh, the road asking people for money and then giving, giving them a token because we want the platform to not be powered by investors, by, you know, like crowd investors. We want, we want the platform to be the most economic as possible for the users. You always have to either please the users or please the investors. So in that case, we want we didn't want any investors at all. So we wanted the e economics to be um, very interesting for the users. So then that means that we do, we need to have no investors at all. Kind of different from what Mastercoin, for example, has been doing. And yeah, we we were still self funded, so we didn't get any venture capital. But uh, maybe that's something we might look at in the future. So far, we're self funded, and yeah, we're trying to hack on the project. So we're recording this interview on a Saturday, and on Monday you're going to be releasing, is this the first Android version of the wallet? Uh, yes, so this is the first uh, native Android application. The website, you know, it, it works on mobile, so you can access the website from your mobile phone and log in and uh, use it from there. So it works on, on any kind of uh, HTML5 uh, browser, so most of the recent smartphones. Uh, but the native application uh, is a bit different because, first of all, it's, it's a native application, so you download it from the store. You know, it's not uh, HTML5 in a frame. It's completely native in Android. And also, you don't need to register onto uh, CoinPrism. You don't need to register onto any website. Uh, whenever you start a wallet, it's going to generate a seed and it's going to store it on the phone. And that's it. You're going to have your wallet on your phone. So it's it's very close to what the popular Bitcoin wallet does, uh, the popular one on Android. Uh, so you just, you know, start the application. It generates a, a seed. So it's compatible with the uh, BIP32 and the HD wallet. So the CD is stored on your phone, and then you can start and you know start receiving assets, sending assets, and so on.
When we usually talk about mobile wallets, where the conversation goes to SPV or simplified pa uh, payment verification or simple payment verification, this idea is that phones don't want to have the whole blockchain. And so there's actually kind of a, a problem when you want to have something complex. You know, just tracking Bitcoin is one thing, but tracking Bitcoin plus thousands or hundreds of thousands of assets and the ownership of each little bit uh, has been a difficult problem. How are you solving that with this wallet? How are you able to, to do this as a native application? So it's not an SPV wallet in the strict sense. So SPV is very challenging to do with Conlot coins. It might be possible, but it's it's quite challenging. So the way it works is just that it connects to the uh, to an API which exposes the uh, information about uh, you know assets, asset information. It's actually connecting to the uh, you know the public uh, coin person API. So it it is connecting to a to a, a server. Uh, this is it, it's a bit the same as what blockchain uh, application does. But, you know, instead, instead of just doing Bitcoin, it does assets as well. Okay, so this is a, um, this is a, a centralized, essentially, Oracle, right? The, your API is acting as the source of information about this stuff. And then uh, an individual's phone requests specific information. So they don't need to carry all of it. They just need to request whatever it is that they need to know right then. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly that, yes. But the key uh, is always on the phone and never leaves the phone. The signature is done on the phone. Everything remains on the phone. Okay, so these solutions, when they start, make sense to start centralized. But we've seen people go in federated directions. We've seen people, you know, essentially publish source so that other people can publish their own oracles or compete in the oracle space. Is there any plan for that, or is this app really designed to be kind of a remote control? It seems like for uh, for the main coin prison. Yeah. So for now, we just wanted to have something out of the that can kind of showcase that form. But yeah, uh, so Corner Core could be, uh, it exposes an API as well, or JSON RPC API. So this is something that uh, somebody could, could use and create their own uh, wallet connecting to their own servers. So the wallet will be open source as well. So the Android wallet will be published on GitHub. So people will be able to, you know, to modify it. If they want to create their own wallet that deals with a specific do that. And uh, yeah, Corner Core could be used as the backend as well. So the Android wallet essentially lets people, you know, what you're doing is you're trying to make it so that this is fundamentally easier for people to use. It's more convenient for people to use because a lot of people, you know, do a lot of their their uh, interaction with the Internet actually on their phones. So can you tell me what the limitations are of, of that platform versus the full platform or what the advantages are uh, outside of the convenience feature? If I'm just like if I just want to create a coin or if I want to use your system for whatever the purpose is, which one am I actually better served by using? The, the mobile, the Android wallet only has the feature of basically receiving, sending the tokens. If you want to issue your own token, you will need to go onto the website. If you want to run a crowd sale, also you would probably have to go to the website. Uh, the website also has, you know, information about all the transactions. So if you want to get more information about uh, what's happening on your address, you need to go to the website. But if you just want to receive an asset or pay using an asset, then the mobile wallet is fine. That's, uh, you know... It's very quick to use, so it's if you want the convenience and just the simple scenarios, then the mobile wallet is easier to use. So it really is like a it's it's much more like a wallet than the main Chroma than than the main Coin Prism application is. The main Coin Prism application has a lot of extra features, whereas this really is focused on the wallet application. Okay, I understand that. Um, so one of the things I'm super curious about is. Given that you're now, you've now enabled assets, this is a big area of interest for me. Um, I'm super curious, what's the process for creating an asset? I mean, it would be good for me in context of how does, how does this differ than what we've seen from either MasterCoin or Counterparty? So issuing an asset on CoinPrism is pretty easy. So you just go to the website, 
you create an address and uh, so the address controls the issuance of an asset so an open asset is that the uh, every uh, so assets are not identified by a name like it would be in counterparty they're identified with a bitcoin address so that lets people create an asset offline basically the same way they generate an address and then they can use the address to issue the tokens so on prism you you go there and create an address and then you you know in a few clicks uh, you, you select how many uh, tokens you want to issue, uh, just, uh, you know, any number, and uh, it's going to ask you to sign a transaction, and then the transaction is going to uh, basically issue the tokens. It only takes one transaction, and it only takes, you know, the, bit, the usual Bitcoin fees, uh, you know, uh, so it's very easy. The same way you, uh, if you go to blockchain.info, you want to send uh, Bitcoin to someone, that's the same kind of easy. Um, and yeah. Yeah, so we also have uh, an additional feature, which is proof of authenticity, which is a way for the issuers to prove their real life identity. So there is this problem with uh, crypto token platforms today. If you receive, let's say, a Starbucks coin, uh, you don't really have a way to know if that token was actually issued by Starbucks, the coffee shop, or if it was somebody running a scam and, and uh, you know calling it Starbucks, but it's not Starbucks. So proof of authenticity uh, is basically a system that's embedded in the wallet where the wallets can verify the real life authenticity of the issuer of the token. So you want me to explain how it works or? Yes, please uh, explain how that works. I'm very curious because that seems like that's a hard problem. It seems like unless you're collecting, you know, like IDs and social security numbers, it's actually kind of difficult. So yeah, how are you accomplishing that? The trick here is uh, like the tricky part is to, to the last mile basically to get the real life identity and get it in the digital format. And of course, we're not going to, you know, to go to, all, to go to see all the issuers around the world and, uh, you know, verifying their identity. That would be uh, quite silly. Uh, but we don't need to do that because there's there are companies actually where uh, which have the the actual the business model of checking the identities of uh, of companies. So those companies would be like VeriSign, Komodo, Global Sign, and they do that for SSL certificate. So they let you. They basically. Uh, there are two levels uh, of validation. They can either just validate the domain name. You can even do that for free uh, with some uh, certificate issuers. But you can also have uh, a more expensive validation where you have to send documents like proof of incorporation. You have to to be registered in a phone book, uh, all these kind of things. They, are, they have really verified that you are uh, the company that you claim you are. They're going to give you a, a certificate with uh, the organization name inside, embedded inside with a digital signature. So once you have that certificate, you can use it on your website. So you use that, every, everybody use that every day a hundred times when they log in onto their webmail or when they turn on their phone. Uh, it's basically underpinning the whole uh, HTTPS infrastructure on the, net, on, the, on the web. And the way we basically use that to, to bridge the last mile. So the way it works for the issuer is that the issuer, uh, first, he has to get a certificate. But if the issuer has a website, he probably has a certificate already. Then he can uh, create a, what we call a metadata file, which is a file that contains information about the asset. So would be the name of the asset, description. Uh, he, he can put some pictures like an icon. Also, the divisibility of the asset, uh, this kind of information. All of this goes into a file, a JSON file. And then the issuer puts that onto their website. And then wallets, uh, when they receive a Corlot coin, they essentially look at the issuance of that Corlot coin. And the issuance contains a link to that, uh, to that URL. So the wallet can then go to that URL, get the file. So it gets all the definition of the, the whole definition of the, the asset. So it can display it to the user. And also it gets the SSL certificate. And the SSL certificate has the name uh, to which it was issued. So if it was issued to Starbucks Corporation, uh, 
then uh, the wallet gets that and can display it to the user. And then you know that Starbucks Corporation, which is a company in the US, it's it's the coffee shop that you know. So you, you the wallet gives you that, uh, that verification. And if it couldn't verify anything, then the wallet is going to tell you uh, we couldn't identify the issuer of this token, so be careful. That's very clever. So you're actually using the existing solutions that are good enough for SSL, and you're essentially just uh, the part that you're handling or that this this service will be handling is uh, providing the connections. But that but the whole verification process is not on you at all. That's very clever. Yeah, I mean, today when you go and buy a book on Amazon, you rely on that. When you yeah, when you play Xbox, you rely on that. I mean, the the whole the web today is completely dependent on SSL. So you know, it's it's a big it's a, it's not only an infrastructure; it's a business as well. You know, there's those uh, um, you know authenticity uh, like certificate issuers who live on that. So you know, it, uh, there's no point reinventing the wheel. So you mentioned that to create an asset, you don't need um, you don't need really anything outside of the uh, outside of creating a new address through this system which is a free process and then the normal mining fees one of the reasons why other projects have in the past said that they don't have that type of system and they do have a secondary token or at least a higher barrier to, to entry is spam control i'm curious how do you solve this problem is this a problem that you think will be a problem or you know do you think uh, do you think that this is a non issue for you yeah so to be honest i think that's a bit of a fallacy it's the same as saying that uh, there should be a fee to create a Bitcoin address because we need to do spam control. Uh, it's not really the way it works in Bitcoin. The way it works in Bitcoin, you generate a key and then you have an address. But then this address is, is a random string of characters. So if you want to create a million addresses, you can. And it should, I think it should be the same for assets. If you want to create a million assets, you can. And then let's say you have a million uh, assets that are called Starbucks coins. Uh, there only there will only be one that is actually issued by Starbucks, the corporation. And so, if the wallet has proof of authenticity, it can tell you which one it is, and you can disregard all the tokens that are not uh, issued by a real company. So, I think spam control is should actually be done by verifying the issuer rather than uh, putting a barrier of issuing a token. Rather than by putting a barrier of issuing a token, I think that that makes sense. The only problem then is it means that you have um, is that you have like a gatekeeper, right? I guess the SSL certificate is that required? If, uh, if I just wanted to create an asset and I didn't necessarily care about you know pretending to be Starbucks or anything like that, uh, you know, do I have to get an SSL certificate? Because that actually is a larger barrier than some of the other things. It's a good point, but it's totally optional. So you can just create an, an address, and that that's basically your asset. And your asset ID is going to have uh, just it's going to look like an address, a Bitcoin address. So if you want to to stop here, you can. So your asset uh, is going to have a name which looks like a Bitcoin address, and you can give that address to your friends. And uh, you know, if you want to use it with your with your friends, and people can verify that the number matches, and you know that can work. You don't need an SSL certificate. Uh, it's free, but it's not very convenient because you know if you want to distribute that token to millions of people, you don't. You're not going to want to ask those millions of people to check that the address uh, matches this. You know that 34 uh, characters uh, string matches this. You want to. You want for your users to be able to just look at the name and see that the name matches the name of the company. So if you're a big company and you know you're, let's say you're, uh, you know, issuing gold tokens. And you're a big company, you, you want to be trustworthy, then you probably have a website and you probably have a certificate. So in that case, you know, it's not an, an additional cost to do that. And if you just want to use color coins, you know, with your friends uh, in a small circle and, you know, take a string of characters, then then you don't need SSL at all. So Flavian, tell me about the relationship as it developed with 
uh, Master Exchange. Because Master Exchange, again, was one of those exchanges that popped up because there wasn't much trading going on of MasterCoin derived assets. And so Master Exchange kind of jumped out there as as a big player early in, in the space. Can you, can you talk to me about, I mean, it seems like this this relationship is interesting to me, right? Coin Prism and MasterCoin on a certain level are actually competitors since you guys are both trying to do the same thing. What, what is this uh, exchange relationship? Yeah, so Master Exchange actually is the, the guys who run Master Exchange are not, you know, completely, you know, they're not part of the the Mastercoin uh, core team, I guess. They they just want to run, an, they, originally they wanted to run an exchange and uh, facilitate uh, buying and selling Mastercoins. And so that's how they started. You know, it's basically for profit, you know, they want to make a profit doing that. And today, the you know, with the price of Mastercoin and the volume going down uh, recently, uh, you know, they, they had to pivot to some, you know, do something new. So that's where they started to offer uh, essentially allowing people to list uh, assets on Counterparty and MasterCoin. Uh, they started with um, the MateSafe coin. Then they have a few other coins on the Counterparty as well. And uh, so, yeah, now they are also offering Condot coins. So uh, if you have uh, an asset issued through Coin Prism or through Open Assets, you can just go to Master Exchange, type the asset ID, which is the uh, that address that I was talking about, and then it's going to generate an order book where you can, uh, where people can go and start selling and buying the coins. So it's actually also a good way to do a crowd sale. So you could just issue a million of those tokens or any token, and say, okay, those tokens are going to be, uh, you know, a fraction of ownership of. Uh, of this project and you can put it on sale onto master exchange and people can go and, and buy it. So, you know, you can put some uh, different prices so you can, you know, the first one would be cheaper and then it goes more expensive or you can change the price over time. You have many different options. So this is also a good way to run a crowd sale. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the first exchange to offer colored coins, but uh, I hope it's not the, there will be more later. So. Well, it sounds like you, again, have made a pretty incredible amount of progress since the last time we spoke, although I guess it was over half a year ago. You know, what? what's coming next? What do you think? What are the things that in the next, you know, for the rest of the year you're excited about or that you think are going to be big deals, whether it's in colored coins or not, really? Yeah, so one thing we're working on now, I think it's uh, it's really important. So there was always this uh, concern with colored coins because the way it works, if you misspend the colored coins, so if you send it to a wallet that doesn't understand colored coins and you spend it from that wallet, the colored coins are destroyed because of the uh, output-based nature of colored coins. Uh, so this was always a concern for a lot of people. So this is something we're working on now and uh, we're close to a solution where uh, you will be able to send uh, colored coins to a wallet that doesn't understand it, but then that wallet won't see the colored coins, so they won't be able to spend it. And you can always salvage the colored coins by, by reimporting the key onto a wallet that understands colored coins. So that would be a way to prevent misspending and uh, destruction of the assets. This episode is brought to you by CryptoKit.com, the easiest, fastest way to spend Bitcoins right from your browser. Today's magic word is beyond. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D, beyond. You've got until the 25th of October to visit Let'sTalkBitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iPhone app and enter it for your share of the listener rewards. Back to the show. Can everyone hear me okay? All right. 
So today I want to talk about Bitcoin first and everything that goes beyond Bitcoin because Bitcoin is just the beginning of a much broader movement. When you think of Bitcoin, these are usually what you think of. Uh, Bitcoin money is a currency, government regulation, the Bitcoin blockchain, BTC. But I think that view is entirely too narrow. Because Bitcoin has risen so fast, so quickly, almost everyone is focused on what the share price is, what the coin price is, how much money am I going to make. And in the process, it's been easy to forget what Bitcoin is really all about. The big ideas about Bitcoin is that it's the first money that all it requires is the freedom of speech. We have the internet, we can broadcast transactions everywhere, and we can use freedom of speech to agree and come to a consensus on who owns what. It allows us to move value through time and space more efficiently than anything before that with lower fees. It's free, or near free. It's free from regulation. Obviously, there's going to regulate the people who use it, but Bitcoin itself is free. It gives you privacy, transparency, accountability. These are the big ideas that Bitcoin stands for. And that I think is going to change every single business that we interact with, whether it's insurance, domain names, identity, voting, banking, stock markets. So Bitcoin is all of that. But all those things aren't about mining. Mining is perhaps the antithesis of what Bitcoin is actually about. Because mining is slow. It's not economical. And ultimately it's resulting in very decentralization and barriers to entry that the original idea of Bitcoin, of everyone can mine, everyone can participate, no one's in control, that's been lost in the mix. I'd say that Bitcoin isn't even about cryptography, though cryptography certainly helps. Because in principle, if you could use the same process, the same consensus algorithm in a prison, as long as everyone could verify signatures, you can use it in a small town. It's about transparency of the ledger and unforgeability. There's ways to implement it without cryptography, but of course in the digital age, in the internet age, cryptography helps a lot. And this is going to be most controversial. I'm going to say Bitcoin isn't money, though we all wish it was. And why isn't it money? Because when you buy Bitcoin, you pay a spread. And when you use Bitcoin to buy something, you pay the spread again. And while you hold it, it's volatile. So everyone who's trying to use Bitcoin as a means of payment uh, isn't actually using it for money. Merchants are accepting it, but cashing out immediately. And the spreads are entirely too wide and too volatile. So Bitcoin is the idea and principle behind the Constitution that defines what these United States security of life, liberty, and property. It helps us secure our property rights. And with our property rights, we can have liberty and it gives us a free economy, which helps us secure our life. But, like the Constitution and uh, these United States have turned into the United States, and the intent of uh, 
the founding of this country, has sort of been lost. We are now a world empire that's economically exhorting people all over the world. And if we're not careful, and we could lose sight of the founding principles behind Bitcoin uh, as it grows and as more players enter the field, as it becomes centralized in miners, and therefore we get choke points and barriers to entry that ultimately are going to lead us with a same, maybe a different inside group of people that are keeping out everyone else. So Bitcoin is about being pioneers. We're settling a new, a new frontier in the internet in the digital age where we can actually have freedom for a property and using the ideas that Bitcoin has made possible. Bitcoin had mining, the idea being that it was distributed like gold, equal opportunity for everyone. But the laws of economics come to play, and the reality is that decentralized mining cannot be profitable. Economies of scale, benefits of centralization, cooling, uh, capital accumulation, all those things mean that the person who can most profitably mine are going to be those who are most centralized. And everyone else who attempts to mine is not going to be able to earn a profit, which means they won't be able to do it unless they're contributing to charity. Last year in Vegas, there was a talk about the future of mining, where they highlighted how mining has become a couple mining pools and a few large ASIC mine, uh, manufacturers. And when there was a fork in Bitcoin March 2013, these people got together and they voted on which blockchain, which fork to support. And that leads me to the $500 million question. I wanted to ask this that day, but you know, we ran out of time before I could get to the microphone and ask it. If we're going to trust these people uh, to produce the blocks and to vote on which blockchain is the official blockchain, couldn't we do it much more efficiently? If they just signed the blocks with a cryptographic elliptic curve signature instead of spending $500 million a year to produce a hash signature that can be forged by anyone who's willing to spend $501 million a year? And is the idea that mining allows anyone to enter really buying us anything? It's saying that what if these Bitcoin insiders are compromised? The government confiscates their mining equipment or they give in to pressures to filter transactions or whatever. Do we want to uh, hope that someone's willing to invest millions of dollars to unseat them? So I'd like to introduce a new way that I understand Satoshi's Bitcoin, not from the perspective of a currency, but instead Bitcoin is nothing more than the ledger of a virtual company that tracks who owns what stake in this company. And when you look at this, you can say, well, Bitcoin's got revenue from transaction fees. This revenue is then paid to miners to build a barrier proof of work that prevents it from being forged. But unfortunately, the revenue is insufficient. So the company has to raise capital by issuing new coins or shares. And it raises its capital, pays the miners to produce work, it's got no redeeming value after it's done. As a result, the shareholders are diluted, the coin holders, if you will. 
to the tune of $500 million a year. Bitcoin is a penny stock in the red with no end in sight. You're being diluted. If this was Apple, it'd be like Apple issuing new shares to buy heaters to fight global cooling. The shareholders would revolt because they're not actually getting any benefit to their share price as a result of all this work being done. So, what's happened in the cryptocurrency ecosystem in the past year? It's the rise of proof of stake. The majority of the top cryptocurrencies these days are proof of stake. Proof of stake is nothing more than the concept of people getting together and voting on which ledger is the official ledger. And who better to do that than the coin holders themselves? Bitcoin miners are effectively doing uh, voting with hash power. This is voting with your coins or your shares, whichever analogy you like to take. And as a result, every single block is approved by the users who are storing their wealth uh, in the system. It is more expensive to attack a proof-of-stake system because you have to do a hostile takeover. You have to buy the majority of the stake. And in the event that one of these systems is compromised, you can fork the offending stake out and continue. Whereas if the mining power behind Bitcoin and Litecoin and Dogecoin are compromised, you can't vote them out. You have to change the protocol to a new proof of work. And guess what? It doesn't matter what your proof of work is. The laws of uh, economics are always going to centralize it in the hands of a few. And eventually, these parties are going to have CPUs that are paired with RAND that can do any proof of work you throw at them. And that's a barrier to entry, and it prevents competition. Once you own that proof of work, you own all systems based on proof of work. Whereas with proof of stake, you have the free market. And the free market is the ultimate form of decentralization. So we have a choice, all you who own tens of millions of Satoshis. Uh, if this was a company and you're all the shareholders, you're like, what are they going to do? We've got to pivot the business model, make it profitable. You've got to vote in new management. Or sell and we go to competing alternatives that are more profitable. I'm not, you know, this is a Bitcoin conference, and here I am telling you, you gotta change something or sell. Um, but it's, it's a hard message. You know, the free market is unyielding. Competition will come. And right now, Bitcoin's got a, at the time I put this together, it was a $5 million market cap. Now it's a $4 million, billion dollar market cap. But that market cap is built on the backs of everyone who's building their businesses and providing the infrastructure. And that infrastructure, and as a result, you're supporting the share price, but you're not getting anything out of it uh, other than the transaction fees or whatever uh, side business model you can, have, you can have profiting from Bitcoin. But the reality is all of your infrastructure can easily be ported to any other system in this space and support some other market cap. So Bitcoin's lead in its network effect and its market cap is vulnerable, especially when you look at the economics of it. I have talked to many people at this conference, many wealthy people that don't want to get into Bitcoin because they see this clearly. The infrastructure is not tied to Bitcoin. 
I guess I'm kind of doing this in a uh, wrong order here. So, uh, some questions to consider is how can Bitcoin change? How can we save Bitcoin? How can we come to a consensus about proof of work? Who's going to lead? The Bitcoin developers have been unwilling to change hardly anything, unwilling to change proof of work to prevent ASICs. You know, we need someone to lead and come to the consensus of how we can make Bitcoin profitable. And that is a problem that, because Bitcoin is so rigid, it's both its strength and its weakness. It can't adapt to changing market conditions. Its initial design of giving away free samples with mining, uh, free samples have all been taken over by the miners, and now they're selling them back to people. So Bitcoin needs to pivot to remain relevant in the long run, to become the global currency that we all hope it would be to realize the dream of what Satoshi had originally intended. I said this before, the free market is the ultimate form of decentralization and reducing barriers to entry is the way that we maintain the maximum amount of decentralization. It increases competition to the maximum and makes sure that the most productive ideas can flourish. So, the past year and a half or so, I've been working on BitShares, and the whole idea of BitShares is the analogy of a company. I want to take Bitcoin, make it profitable, and to realize the vision and dream that Satoshi started out with, and that we all ultimately want, without being uh, caught up or blinded by the fact that Bitcoin has risen in price so much. So we focus on revenue and making sure that every transaction in our system it pays a transaction fee, and those fees are more than enough to pay for the maintenance of a proof-of-stake network. Uh, so we've got an entirely different system here. There's dozens of, of proof-of-stake coins out there. These, all these coins, they're faster. In our case, uh, we're able to do transactions in five seconds on average confirmation. That's more secure than Bitcoin after one hour. They can be easier to use with what we're doing with BitShares. You never have to see a public key or an address. You have names registered in the blockchain and you send money to a name. And it automatically implements the best privacy that Bitcoin has, the best practices, generating a new address each time you send to people. But perhaps the biggest innovation that we've had to help realize the idea of a global cryptocurrency rather than a digital penny stock is BitUSD. All the benefits of Bitcoin with the price stability of the dollar. What you're looking at here is a graph since we launched BitUSD about a month ago. And this shows the black line is the real price according to the exchanges and the uh, underlines the internal trading on our blockchain. And you can see that they are highly correlated at all times, despite the relative volatility of BitShares X, which is what this is running on. So here we have a cryptocurrency. They can do everything Satoshi wanted in five seconds, be more secure, actually earn a profit, is sustainable, economical. This is a cryptocurrency that the masses can understand. You can put your money in here and not have to worry about the price going up or down. Uh, and if you're a merchant, you can accept it without having to immediately cash out, uh, which makes it a lot easier. 
all the payment companies out there are charging a spread, whether it's hidden or not. And that's just like the credit card spread that we're seeing today. Now merchants can accept a transaction for five cents, no spread, and price stability. But there's one more thing that BitUSD has that is going to change things, and that is yield. BitUSD is created by being lent into existence using a cryptocurrency, BitShirtX, as the collateral. Those who borrow the USD to sell it and create it are paying interest to those who hold the BitUSD, and this interest is variable. It depends upon the expected growth in the underlying. So now, the people who are bullish cryptocurrency understand this technology can provide incentives for all the regular people who don't want to worry about the volatility or the risks. They take all the risks, they get the gains, and the average man gets a relatively high interest rate. Not funded from inflation, not funded with a Ponzi scheme, but funded from free market participants taking opposite sides of a trade. One gets leverage, the other gets price stability. It's all collateralized 3x. There is no counterparty. It's not an IOU. This is not Bitstamp USD trading on Ripple. This is not user-issued assets on Next, where the company that backs it can go out of business so the government can seize the funds like eGold or those before it. This is not a system where the supply of BitUSD only ever grows, and it depends upon a never-ending game of musical shares of, uh, like other systems have been released. This is a system that works at any scale, small or large. It's possible for the supply of BitUSD to go back to zero when everyone unwinds their positions. Uh, and so it's a real game changer. It's got an internal market and automatically will do margin calls whenever the collateral starts to be uh, at risk of running out. So the system can handle all the volatility that Bitcoin has ever seen without having any uh, event where the BitUSD is uncollateralized. So this is a game changer because now the average man can just view the blockchain like a bank. They've got a currency they can transfer in five seconds to a name and never have to deal with an address. And any transaction fees or spreads that payment processors might have are more than made up for by the yield. And the risk of default of the system, systematic risk, is also made up for by the rate of return they're getting. So this is all in the spirit of realizing the dream of what Bitcoin could be and what it should be. And we can sit here and uh, allow Bitcoin to continue as it has, as just a simple currency, if you want to call it that, with high volatility. Or we can change and we can continue toward the vision of what Bitcoin could be. And I am hoping that Bitcoin changes because Bitcoin is the leader, it's the flagship, it's the one that everyone knows. It would be a shame to see the Bitcoin, the original one, fail because it was unable to adapt to a changing market. So each of us has to vote with our money, with our businesses, whether we're going to support the continued centralization of miners or we're going to demand change. And I encourage everyone to stick to the ideal of Bitcoin and take it to the moon. Thank you.
cash out because having uh, US like, <coughs> value in your system is all great, but if you can put it in your bank, like you would say through Bitstamp, then you know what's it what's it good for you really? It's an asset that's got the value of a dollar, it's not a dollar, which means that at any time you can trade it on the market in any exchange for about a dollar. There are exchanges right now, uh, Bitter, that trades uh, USD versus BitUSD directly with a relatively narrow spread. It's still very young, but as the market matures, uh, there are going to be more and more people that provide BitUSD, USD exchanges, uh, and the spread will be proportional to the number of people that want in or out at any given point in time. So it works just like anything else, except instead of someone issuing an IOU and being a liability, uh, it's an even trade, one asset for another asset. And internally, it maintains that value. Hi, my name is Michael. I'm from Los Angeles. Uh, I have a couple of questions about the security of this. If you're dialing into the US dollar, that means somewhere, someplace, you need to be backing up the reserves of the US dollar somewhere. Uh, because the value has to come from that. And I'm wondering how that's done and how you uh, keep that from being centralized and confiscated like an eagle type situation. If this is not an IOU, what you're talking about is an IOU. This is a derivative where the backing is a different currency. This is like uh, borrowing dollars into existence using your house as the collateral. All dollars are actually created using an alternative form of collateral as the backing. In this case, instead of using your house as collateral, you can use shares in the bank as collateral. And the, as long as the collateral is liquid, fungible, and in excess of the value of the dollars created, you can liquidate the collateral to buy back and destroy the BitUSD created. It actually works very similar to how the all dollars are created today, just in a decentralized manner. Okay, the other question is, is your, your system is pure proof of stake, or is it a hybrid system? Uh, it's delegated proof of stake, which means the shareholders elect 101 people to randomly sign, randomly selected to sign blocks with an approval voting process. So it works very similar to a company with a board of directors where they take turns signing blocks. Have you considered the hybrids like proof of activity? I know that's still kind of in development, but it seems to be very secure. I'm not familiar with proof of activity. The primary thing I'm looking for is efficiency from an economic point of view and uh, you know, validity. How, how can you validate it? So, you know. okay. well, I encourage everyone to look at the Bitcoin talk forums. There's a lot of dialogue going on about the different proof of stake systems with some very valid criticisms of it, too. Uh, I'm, 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 familiar, I'm familiar with the uh, criticisms on proof of stake uh, as well. And obviously, if we're going to realize the dream, we've got have to stay flexible. And I am not committed to any particular proof-of-stake scheme, I'm committed to the best I can come up with at the time, or anyone can come up with. Uh, one thing I want to point out, we have BitUSD, but we also have BitGold, BitSilver, BitYuan, and they can all trade against each other. So where else can you go to get a digital gold, value gold, an IOU gold? Hi, I'm Philip Bates. I'm a trader, also a blogger, right for Cointelegraph. You highlighted the proof of stake over the proof of work that Bitcoin is. Uh, you don't feel that a proof of stake coin rewards people for just holding on to their Bitcoin and not spend them? Now you want to reward people for holding it. That's how you create demand for the coin and you grow it. You don't want to have a company that says, I want people to sell or spend or uh, get rid of my shares. You want to do everything you can to encourage people to accumulate value in it. So spending does not drive value. In fact, all the spending of Bitcoin is resulting in selling pressure, putting, pushing down the price of Bitcoin. You want to create an asset that people want to hold and save. 
And that's contrary to a lot of economics you hear from the government, but it's the foundation of savings. The weakest currency, people always get rid of what they don't want. So you pay with your credit card rather than your cash because cash is harder to come by. So whatever people are paying with, they pay with the least valuable currency, least valuable store of value. So with BitShares X, the, the shares, BTSX, that's what you want to accumulate and hold and go up in value like a company stock. BitUSD is the currency. BitUSD is spendable and tradable. That's what people should be trading and doing business with. That's the product. That's the currency. Just like a bank, no one talks about the bank stock. They talk about your deposits, your dollars, your gold, your silver, deposited at the bank and that you transact with. Customers don't care about the price of the stock. Ultimately, if you think about it, all banks, without FDIC and all the bailouts and stuff that we have, all banks are borrowing money from their depositors. And in the event of a bank default, guess what happens? You get converted to equity. That's effectively the same thing we have going on here, only implemented on the blockchain, automatic. Uh, Chris David from Coy Fox, New Hampshire. Okay. Uh, you said previously that you've charted out a trajectory of decentralized applications moving toward like moving governance, moving all this stuff to the blockchain. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. The idea of the blockchain is a, it's a ledger, it's a transparent ledger, and a transparent ledger that facilitates some degree of privacy. That means that we can use it for any business that's primarily a ledger. Voting is primarily a ledger. Gambling can be a ledger. Uh, domain names is a ledger. It's property rights. Uh, identity, uh, we have names in our system, but you can easily put identity on there. Uh, webs of trust, um, anything that's event-based. All these things are ledgers and they can all be on there. Every business has a ledger. Timekeeping has a ledger and you need to be able to prove that you didn't change your, your hours after you worked them. All these types of systems can go on a blockchain to have higher accountability for all parties involved, eliminate fraud, prevent identity theft, have single sign-on login, eliminate man in the middle from OpenSSL. All these things are possible with blockchain technology. In fact, you can post bonds on a blockchain uh, against your obeying the laws you agreed to follow. You can have complete governance on a voluntary basis because blockchain technology allows us to reach a peaceful form of consensus and is the alternative to governments which are a coercive, violent form of consensus. It's just a matter of finding the free market solution to secure life, liberty, and property. And that's what I'm going for. The proof of work has the problem of facility power in the hands of two, three mining pools in the end because of the successful. Wouldn't the proof of stake have still a problem that eventually the power will be centralized to two or three individuals that hold the most, hold the majority of the funds between them? The free market is the ultimate form of decentralization and competition is the key. So if one system becomes centralized, you can copy the code and launch a new one with new shareholders, new users, and it'll still function. Whereas with proof of work, if you want to launch an alternative, you've got to find a whole bunch of mining power to be secure, or the big boys can come in and mess with your hash rate, perform a denial of service in your transactions. So it's about the competition and the free market as a whole. Each and every blockchain is, in fact, a mini centralized system. All the users, all the transactions, they're all centralized on one blockchain. But the free market is fully decentralized, 
each person is autonomous and can make their own decisions about who they do business with, who they associate with, what they accept as payment. And so the goal for decentralization is to maximize competition. No one complains about Steve Jobs or Bill Gates owning large stakes in their companies because they have large financial interest in their success. And in the event that the companies go evil, then people can move to a competitor. And that's the key thing, is all the infrastructure of Bitcoin can easily support more than one competitor. And eventually it's going to be like Visa and MasterCard and all the other credit card varieties out there. All merchants are going to accept them all, particularly if they all have BitUSD on it. Because guess what? You don't care about the value of any particular system. You're still being paid a dollar's worth of value. So this greatly increases competition to uh, provide the services we want. I'm still struggling to understand exactly what it is about this happening behind the scenes that should give me confidence that the USD liabilities can be paid out on in the full that dollar value. Can you tell us a bit more about the either the exchange or hedging strategy that's behind it? On the blockchain, you have two parties. They disagree about which direction the dollar is going to move against the shares X. One party thinks that the dollar is going to go down. They're the one that's bullish. They want leverage. The other thinks the dollar is going to go up. And they want to make sure that if the dollar goes up, they can maintain the purchasing power. So they both place orders on the blockchain. They get matched. You've got $2 worth of shares or coins from one user, $1 worth of coins from another. You can have a dollar worth of anything. You have a dollar worth of Bitcoin, a dollar worth of gold, a dollar worth of silver. So a dollar is just a unit of measure. Now you've got three dollars worth of coins held as collateral, and you have negative one USD and positive one USD. The reason you know that you're going to be able to get a dollar out in the future is because the person wants to get their three dollars back, and they can't access their three dollars until they buy back your dollar and cover their position. They are forced to cover on a monthly basis. So if they don't manually cover at a profitable opportunity, the system will close out the position buying at the market rate. And therefore, anyone who owns BitUSD can hold out for a dollar, and eventually it will be accepted because it will be the highest or lowest bid, uh, depending on your perspective on the market. That's how you know. If the price of the dollar starts climbing and the collateral starts becoming insufficient, it's going to buy back immediately. So anyone holding BitUSD or BitGold or BitSilver, they're in the position to hold out until they get it. And because of that, you can sell immediately to someone else who's willing to hold out for you until the market flow of capital changes. For a small premium, if you want out right now, if you want to move a million dollars out, you can liquidate it today. People will charge a small premium based on the rate. So it's not a promise to pay a dollar. It is set by market forces. So it is possible for it to be worth less than a dollar. It is possible for the entire system to fail and some kind of catastrophic hack, same as Bitcoin, could fail. And if the entire system failed and fell in value by 66 plus percent instantaneously, then you would be uncollateralized. So you are still exposed to risk to the system. But when you're in Bitcoin, you're exposed to the same risk in the system. The difference is you got price stability while you're in there and you're getting a positive rate of turn to compensate you for that risk. Is that correct? So if they're, say there's $5 of 
Thanks for listening to episode 155 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's show is provided by Flavian Charlin, Daniel Larimer, and others. Music for today's show is provided by Jared Rubens and The New Time. This episode was edited by Denise Levine and Adam B. Levine. See you next time.